0: Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time, it's episode 82, and we're going to talk about a very important issue with sprinter vans, so stay tuned, you might make money. We're also going to talk about a tale from the road involving some people in some serious trouble, a product review of the Dometic 2.6-gallon toilet, and a place to visit that's covered with a rock that's covered with drawings. Hello everyone, thank you once again for joining me. Before we get started today, I've got two small pieces of business. First one is that I mailed out all the requests for stickers that I'd received. Basically, everyone who asked for a sticker, I have mailed them to you. Except that I got one back in the mail because, mysteriously, I mailed it out without an address on it. So if you were promised a sticker and you didn't receive it yet, send me an email at jeff at built dot com. that's two Ts, not three, not one, and I will send it again and I apologize. And now that I've said that, I have to offer to everybody, if you would like a sticker, a hook walk-a-bang sticker that is basically a Euro decal that has a question mark, a greater than symbol, and an exclamation point, please send your request to me at jeff at Bill2Go.com and I will get that out to you. It's completely free. I'm not harvesting your addresses or anything like that. It's just, I have a lot of these stickers and I think they're kind of cool and I think you might too. That's it. The other order of business is this episode is being published a bit later than normal. So I would just like everyone to know that my commitment to you is to have a new episode up every Wednesday, but I'm not going to commit to a time. I used to try to have them up by eight and then things have gotten complicated in my life. So I'm just going to say Wednesday. I don't know what time on Wednesday. So for those of you who are just eager for the next episode, I'm sorry You'll have to wait a bit longer, but I can tell from my listenership stats that most people listen during the week, and that's the joy of a podcast, is you can listen to it whenever you want. So I have not talked about Sprinters very much on this, and now that I own one, I have learned something that I think everyone needs to be aware of. So I'm going to devote the opening segment just to this one thing, and that is that if you have an NCV3 Sprinter, that stands for New Concept Van 3, that is a Sprinter built between 2010 and 2016, you are part of a massive class action lawsuit. And this is important, so know about this. This is potentially worth thousands of dollars to you. Yes, sprinters have this DEF system. It's called Bluetech. They also refer to it as the scr system and the concept is pretty simple there's a tank that's filled with a 32.5 percent solution of urea and water that is sprayed into the exhaust and then it does chemical magic where it turns all the nasty stuff into basically carbon dioxide nitrogen and water vapor so it's it's really a good system for the environment but there are two problems with it one is that it lies or at least the system that mercedes put into the vehicle would lie if it detected a scanner it would change its parameters to make the scanner happy but that wasn't what it was really doing while you were driving volkswagen got in trouble for this and now mercedes has two it apparently is a german car company thing where they don't want to respect u.s laws and just want to flaunt them i am not going to get too much into that but that's what happened they got caught The second part of it is the system is faulty. The system is in bad shape in these vans, and it breaks frequently, and repairs are expensive and often don't work. And part of the big problem with this is that the EPA has said that all diesel vehicles with this system, which they have to be now, also have to have a way to disable the vehicle if there's something wrong with the DEF system or if the owner doesn't refill the fluid. So what happens is, let's say you just don't refill the fluid, or let's say you fill it with water because you're like, well, I'm not going to pay six bucks for two and a half gallons of this stuff. I'm just going to fill it up with water. All right, fine. Well, there are sensors that will detect that you did that. There's something in there that actually tests the quality of the DEF, and it will know right away, and it will yell at you on your dashboard. And then you've got to pay to have your tank drained and put the right stuff in. So don't do that. The other thing is, is that if it breaks or runs out, you'll get a message on your dashboard that says, you have 15 starts left. And it means exactly that. The computer will let you start your van 15 more times, and if it's not fixed in that time period, it will kill your van and you won't be able to start it. You will need to tow it to a Mercedes-Benz dealership and they will have to reset it, and that costs something like 250 bucks just to reset it. That doesn't mean they fixed anything. Obviously, this is a major problem, and you can find all kinds of people complaining on YouTube. And I mean, it's frankly unacceptable. I say this as a guy who just bought one of these vans. So, my van, by the way, has not had any of these problems. Now, they got caught. Massive class action lawsuit. Billions of dollars. And here's what the offer is. If you are in the U.S., I don't know what the terms are in other countries, but this is what it is for the U.S. You make an appointment at Mercedes, and they will change out some parts and reprogram the system. They claim that this is not going to affect your fuel mileage. We'll see if that's actually true. Once you do that, you go online and you fill out a claims form, and then eventually they're anticipating that you will get a check. I am not kidding here. You will get a check for $3,290 plus another $300 from a, another class action against Bosch. And you may even get more after. Now, does that sound too good to be true? It does to me. I've been involved in many class action lawsuits as just about everyone has and they always promise something up front and then you get something much less at the end. So I don't know how this is going to turn out, but that's a pretty big number. So I do suggest you pay attention to this. Now, who qualifies? Well, anybody who owns one of these vehicles or anyone who has owned one of these vehicles. This gets a little tricky. So let's say you bought one of these vehicles new and you sold it recently Can you claim against the vehicle? The answer is, oddly, yes. What will happen is that you can make a claim, and then you will receive $822.50, and then $75 from Bosch, and the owner, the current owner, will get $2,467.50 from Mercedes and $225 from Bosch. So basically, you're going to split it, although not equally. In my case, the previous owner has filed no claim. They did not get the repair work done, and I think it's because my vehicle was actually parked when this class action lawsuit came down, which was only a couple months ago. So they figured they didn't have the the vehicle anymore, and the new owner probably never registered it because they were just a car dealership, basically an ambulance dealership. And so I'm in this weird window where I get to claim all this. So currently, my van is at Mercedes-Benz, where they want to keep it for four days, because well, I'll probably rant about Mercedes some other time, but when they're done, they should hand me paperwork that I can turn in and claim this. So I feel like this is such an important issue, even though it's only for a very minor subset of the audience, that we need to get the word out there that if you own a 2010 to 2016 Sprinter, you... Could be inheriting some serious money here, so definitely pay attention. The web page that talks about this is—it's a little complicated. It's MB Mercedes-Benz MB BlueTechSettlement.com, and Tech is spelled T-E-C. So MB BlueTechSettlement.com, and uh, you can Google it, and I'll also have a link in the show notes. I mean, I know you guys know how to use the internet. You found me. Okay, so what does this mean if you're looking to buy a Sprinter? Should you avoid vehicles of this year's? There are a lot of people who say yes, because there was a problem where there was this Bluetech system, the system that processes the diesel exhaust is very complicated and it can break and be expensive. And many people have reported that Mercedes-Benz doesn't do a very good job of fixing it. Now, maybe this will resolve all that. Maybe. And then these vehicles could be a really good candidate for van life. I don't know. I will continue to report how I'm faring with mine. I can tell you that mine was available. We are in a time of really scarce vans right now. And in a year, I'm assuming that this will be over. But I bought mine because it was the thing that perfectly fit what I wanted, and I was afraid it was going to not be there when I planned on buying it, which was in September, so I jumped on it. I did do my due diligence on the vehicle, I tested it, I ran the scanner on it, and it did not have any codes, so I, I feel like I got a good vehicle, but I will definitely keep you informed. And I have to say, there is this kind of a ticking time bomb feeling with it, because I... Start it up every day, and I'm just in terror of seeing a check engine light, and it's going to say there's something wrong with the Bluetech system, and I've got 15 starts left. That would be terrible. Imagine you're on a trip, and you're about to drive across the country, which is something we do, and you get this message that you can only start the van 15 more times, and you're in Wyoming, where the nearest Mercedes-Benz dealership is 400 miles away, and it's in the other direction. Well, what are you going to do? this now leads me to my recommendation for folks in the u.s and that is do not get diesels i know diesel engines are simpler that they last longer and that they're much better at producing torque which is what you need for things like towing and going up hills yep that's all true but this new complicated def system which is on all newer diesels in the united states makes diesels just that much less desirable that I think you should avoid them altogether. And here's another reality, is I was talking to another guy who buys used ambulances and I was talking to a couple of mechanics and basically... People are just not buying diesels anymore. Mercedes has a gasoline engine for sprinters now. Gasoline engines are now being used in ambulances where there were always diesels before. And it looks like what's going to happen in the U.S. is that diesels are going to be less and less common. And they're already pretty uncommon. Another issue. Mercedes-Benz diesels don't like biofuel. So... I am allowed to use up to a 5% mixture of biodiesel with diesel, which, you know, is fine, except I'm in a state, Illinois, that demands that diesel be mixed with 20% biodiesel. So technically, most of the stations I go to have fuel I can't use, and that's if I can find a station that sells diesel because they're not that common. Folks in Europe must think I'm crazy talking about this, but that's really how it is in the U.S. Diesel isn't impossible to find by any means, but you just can't assume that there's diesel at the pump. And what I found driving from Texas to Chicago is a lot of the places that do have diesel have it at just one pump. So when you pull in, you have to figure out which island actually has diesel and then hope there's nobody at it because you can't go anywhere else. Also, diesel fuel is more expensive than gasoline in most cases, although oddly, in Illinois, it's cheaper than gas right now, and that might be because of the biodiesel thing. I don't know. Anyway, I recommend you get a gasoline engine. I didn't. I bought a diesel engine. Again, do as I say, not as I do, but if you are going to consider a Sprinter, a diesel Sprinter, any other diesel vehicle, at least know what you're getting into. That's the most important thing. Understand what you're getting into, and then you can make your own decisions just like I made mine. Tech Talk. About that 10 start thing. I feel like uh, 15 starts, 10 starts left. I feel like that's worthy of another discussion here. If you do have a diesel and you do get that message, what do you do and how can you avoid it? Well, it's almost always caused by having low DEF, and the newest diesel vehicles actually do have a gauge so you can watch it. The Sprinters have a gauge that's up on the dashboard all the time that shows you the DEF level, and you're not adding the stuff very often. Uh, it doesn't use much. It doesn't use anywhere near as much as, say, diesel. So you would add it maybe once a month. I mean, it all depends on how many thousands of miles you're driving. I think you get 2,000 miles per gallon of DEF is about average. So as long as you keep that topped up and you use good quality DEF, it turns out that DEF has an expiration date. Who knew that Urea and water could expire? I don't even know how that's possible. But there are date codes on these things, and you want to buy fresh stuff when you add it. I'm a little bit unclear about this whole thing, but that's what I've heard. And the best place to buy it is from Walmart, and they've got it the cheapest. And you want to buy the 2.5-gallon SuperTech from Walmart. That's what I'm hearing. It's the cheapest, and it's the freshest. Because it's the cheapest, it flies off the shelf, and you're never going to find an old box sitting on the shelf. Now, specifically with Sprinters, and other people have said this too, and and again, we're entering into the land of folklore here, because whenever there's anything like this that you can't see, people make up their own scenarios. But this is something that a lot of people are saying, so I'm going to pass it along one way to avoid problems with your DEF system is to actually fill it up more often. This isn't terribly convenient, but the idea is that you carry a two and a half gallon jug with you in your rig somewhere. Yay, more stuff to store in your van. And then every other time you fill up with diesel, you also top off your DEF tank. Supposedly with the sprinters, this has really helped with the problems because there is this theory hypothesis um, idea maybe that once that countdown timer starts, there's a bug in the computer and that's where you get into real trouble. So you never want that countdown timer to start. I don't know if that's true. I'm just going to pass it along. <laughs> and now for you folks who have an older diesel engine, you're probably like, Whew, I am so glad I bought that 2003 Ford 7.3 liter power stroke. And I don't have to worry about these things, but before you feel too smug, know two things, We're getting better fuel milers than you are, and our exhaust is much, much more pleasant than yours. You guys are causing acid rain and asthma and choking and all kinds of problems that we, with our fancy, expensive, overcomplicated vans, aren't. So, there you go. But, boy, I would really not want to be out in my van and try to start it and have it not start. (laughs) That's absolutely the truth. Tales from the Road Okay, yeah, it's probably going to be this entire episode is about the ambulance, and I'm sorry, but it's what's on my mind. But this story is uh, is an important one, and this happened to me on the drive up. So I'm in an ambulance, right? And I bought this ambulance, and it's a fully functional ambulance. I mean, all the sirens and lights work and everything. It says ambulance on the side. It It's an ambulance. And I'm not allowed to use the lights and sirens, of course, and, and in some states I'm not even allowed to have them installed, but... I am just transporting this vehicle. If anyone pulled me over, I would be explained to them that, look, I live in Chicago, I just bought it, whatever. So I was not pretending to be an ambulance or anything, and I was very good about not playing with the lights and sirens, although I did pull into a very secluded parking lot and make sure I understood how they all worked so that I wouldn't accidentally turn them on because it is actually possible to accidentally turn on the lights in this thing. So most of the drive up, it was pouring rain. And it was nighttime. I was planning on stopping at like 9.30. And I think it was about 8.30 that this happened. And this was in Arkansas. And I'm driving along, doing the speed limit. I did the speed limit the entire way. That was a rule that I set for myself. And I look up ahead and there's a car on the shoulder with its hazard lights on. And this is in heavy rain. I couldn't see very well. So I do the polite and now legal thing. And I put on my turn signal and moved over to the left-hand lane. And as I was passing them, I saw them waving at me and kind of staring at me. And then behind them, I saw that they weren't the only car over there. There was another car in the bushes on its roof. Somebody had gone off the road, and I assume these people stopped to help them out. But why why are they waving at me? I mean, and then it dawned on me, I'm in an ambulance. These folks had called an ambulance, and they see an ambulance coming, and they expect it to stop, and it doesn't. And I'm like, holy cow. I hadn't even considered that there might be folks in this situation who would see me and think that I'm supposed to help and stop them. So I cannot imagine what was going through their mind when I just passed them. Maybe they thought I didn't see them. No, again, I didn't have any lights on or anything. I was not, you know, flashing the sirens. You know, I was just driving a, a dormant ambulance. Still, there's people who need help on the side of the road, so what can I do? So I was like, well, there's not much I can do. I mean, I'm not really an ambulance. I can't take them to the hospital. I don't know enough medical stuff to help anybody. But I do have these big, bright lights on the side. They're called scene lights. All ambulances have these. And I could actually pull over and light up the scene, which would be good for them and everybody else. And I was looking and seeing if I could turn around and somehow get back to them. This was on an interstate, so that was a little tricky. And then by the time I figured out how I was going to do that, I saw an ambulance coming the other way. That was the ambulance they called, who was actually going in. He was going to be there in probably a minute, so I felt better. But I didn't feel good <laughs> seeing the looks on their faces, which I mostly imagined because it was raining, as I passed them, and they thought all hope was lost. So if you do happen to buy an ambulance understand that people are going to think you're driving an ambulance and they're going to think that you can help them as soon as i got to chicago and and those of you who've watched the ambulance tour on youtube uh, may have seen this is that I, i covered everything up that's had the word ambulance on it with tape and i'm going to remove all that lettering first thing because i am not driving an ambulance i don't want people to think i am but let's face it that thing is always going to look like an ambulance so this may be something i have to deal with again product review. The Dometic 2.6 gallon toilet. So I have this in my NV200 and I've used it now for a couple of years and I'm actually going to leave it with the NV200 because it fits perfectly in there. It has that nice little cubby, it fits in there, it's going with it, it will be thoroughly cleaned, but it is going with the NV200 when I sell it. But I figured before I sell it I should tell you guys how well it's worked over this time. Now this is a traditional camping Toilet, chemical toilet it's called it's a little bit different than the old ones the old ones would actually recirculate stuff like basically everything would go into this blue soup and you would flush with that same blue soup yeah those days are gone they don't do that anymore this thing has a fresh water tank and you flush with fresh water and then it goes into a holding tank it's a cassette toilet and when it's time to empty it the toilet breaks in half and you just take this tank with the waste in it to a toilet, to a dump station, or wherever is appropriate to get rid of it. And that part works great. I have to say that I loved the cassette toilet part because it gave me all kinds of flexibility. I would usually dump at free dump stations, but sometimes I would use a Jiffy John on the side of the road or a vault toilet, and I did not I think maybe once I actually used a real toilet because it's a little awkward kind of like going to the rest area and you're carrying your little tote there and you're like, hi, I'm just, you know, going in here and yeah, don't mind the noises. And yeah, and they don't smell great. So doing it outdoors is actually better. So anyway, that was not a horrible process. I know other people on YouTube have said it's just horrible. I can't stand it. Nah, it really isn't that bad. It's no worse than emptying a black tank on an RV. In fact, it's it's much better. It's much easier. One note, there is a vent on this uh, because as you drive up and down altitude, this is a sealed chamber and pressures can do bad things. So you want to open this vent and then close it immediately before you empty it. And make sure you do close it immediately because if you don't, that vent also becomes an outlet for effluent and you don't want that. How about actually using it? Well... It's not big. Um this is a, you know, these toilets you see them on Amazon whatever and you're imagining that they're the same size as household toilets, but no, they're not. Especially the 2.6 gallon ones because they're short. So this is a very short and very mm, the seat is very small toilet that works, but it's never going to be comfortable. You're never going to sit there for a couple hours reading on your phone or anything if that's something you do at home, not that I've ever done that, though I might have. No, this is something you're going to use and get off of as soon as you can. And uh, for men, you might have to kind of adjust things in order to get everything in the right spot. That's all I'm saying. After you do your business, and there's different approaches to this, you can fill the tank with water, do your business, and then you pull a, a lever and it all falls into the main tank and then you rinse it out with the fresh water. You can do that. Or what I tended to do was I would open the hatch immediately my business which would go directly into the tank and then rinse it out with the fresh water my one complaint about this and it's not surprising is that the fresh water rinse which is you pump it up basically you pump up this tank with pressure and you press a button and the water sprays out it doesn't clean things all that well i found that i was cleaning out the bowl after every use which wasn't the end of the world but it's something you have to do so overall i I think it's a good solution for folks who don't want to spend the money or don't have space for a composting toilet and don't find the idea of using the bag-in-a-bucket method, although I might be going to that direction in the future. These things work. I think they're fine, and I think they have a lot of advantages. And one thing I really liked was that it could come out of the camper. When we camped in the tent trailer, we were able to take this out of the van and put it in the tent trailer, and it worked great. So... This one is Dometic. My review, I think, would probably apply to any of the other brands, but this was specifically the Dometic 2.6-gallon. I'll have a link in the show notes. Sadly, they have gone way up in price. I paid under $100 for mine, and the price on Amazon, as I just looked, was $127. And that's for the 2.6-gallon. If you're going to have more than one person using it, or you want to be able to use it for a longer time, they do have a 5.2-gallon model, and that one would raise you up off the ground more, which could be better. But it will take up more space, and the cassette will be much heavier. That's one of the things you have to consider, is that water weighs over 8 pounds per gallon, as does the other stuff mixed in with the water, so you maybe don't want the biggest tank in the world because you could carry this around. A place to visit. If I say the word petroglyph, you probably imagine some desert-scorched sandstone in Nevada or Utah or New Mexico or someplace like that. But there are actually petroglyphs all over the country. I've seen them in Vermont. I've seen them in New Hampshire, Alabama. I mean, you can find them just about anywhere. The problem is that in the foresty areas, they tend to get overgrown, and there's more erosion, and they don't last. But there is one spot in the Midwest that has an amazing... collection of petroglyphs and that's called Jeffers Petroglyphs. That's Jeffers, J-E-F-F-E-R. And it is in Comfrey, Minnesota. That's C-O-M-F-R-E-Y, Comfrey. I was uh, delighted to visit this place a few years ago as I was doing one of my big trips. And it's very interesting because these petroglyphs aren't written on the side of a mountain or a big rock outcropping. They're on the ground. There's this big spot where there is this exposed rock on the ground. And for thousands of years, people would come and draw on it. And when I say thousands of years, I'm talking about like five thousands of years. And there's all kinds of stuff there an amazing history. And it's in Minnesota. Now, It's a bit of a hike. You can't just drive up to it. And it's not a bad hike. And It's a hike through a prairie. It's not like you're hiking in the mountains or anything. It's perfectly flat. Just about everybody should be able to handle it. And then you get there and you're on this big rock that has all these drawings on it. I recommend that you take the tour this is a state park. There is a guide there who can take you out there and they know where everything is and how to see it. Depending on the time of day, it's hard to see these. Noon is going to be the hardest and towards when they open and close, it's going to be easier. And you are allowed to spray water on these. Uh, like if you brought a canteen, you could dump water on the petroglyphs and that would help bring them out. But there's all kinds of creatures and drawings and shapes. And boy, if you like petroglyphs and you're in the Midwest and you feel like you're just too far away, well, maybe you're not. Head up to Comfrey and check this place out. Amazing history and honestly, just a nice place to be. Resource recommendation. And this is one I think I'll be using as I modify my ambulance into a camper. If you don't have a shop or a garage, if you're doing kind of a self-build, like in parking lots or whatever, you have an issue where, how do you cut lumber? You know, especially sheets of lumber. Like, if you have a big sheet of plywood, how are you going to cut that in half? Well, yeah, you could use a jigsaw or a skill saw or set up somewhere, but I have a better solution, and a lot of people do this and know about it, but if you don't, you should, and that is that Home Depot, Lowe's, places like that, will cut lumber for you, usually for free. Now they do not offer precise cuts for free, but let's say that you bought a four by eight sheet of plywood and you wanted it cut in half. Well sure, they'll measure it into four by four squares and they have a massive saw and they will cut it for you. Free, you just ask and they cut it and then boom, you've got a major piece of work done. And if you have, say, you bought some 2 by 4s that are 8 feet long, but you only need them to be 6 feet long, yeah, they'll cut that extra two pieces off. Also, they have a miter saw in their lumber aisle, and you can cut your own wood with their saw there. Now, it's a hand saw, and it's a little awkward. But, hey, why not do that there rather than in your van or in the parking lot? So, absolutely, take advantage of this. Lumber shops and... Big box stores will cut wood for you. Sometimes they'll charge for it. If you want to do a lot, they might charge a buck a cut or two bucks a cut. But wow, I mean, some of the stuff is really awkward to cut and they're going to do it perfectly. So definitely consider that if you have lumber that you need to cut, well, let them cut it at the source because heck, it's going to save you a lot of trouble. Thank you very much for listening to episode 82. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg, and he is uh, working on a little something special for us for episode 100. Stay tuned for that. We are a group. We are interactive. You can find us on Facebook, on Discord, on Twitter, sort of, and uh, even on Instagram at College of Curiosity. Until next time, remember what one anonymous wag once said. That's wag with one G. If it has tires or testicles, it's bound to give you trouble.